0: Thanks, Russ. It's uh, great being here and being able to share with you for the next two hours on the topic. Uh, not two hours, right? Well, thank you for that, uh, that introduction, Russ. I, my goodness. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure some of you are wondering, though, why really why Russ asked me to be the speaker here in your, uh, in your chapel. He was looking for the most dynamic speaker he could find, but that person turned him down. And he said, I know I'll get me the best athlete around. But that person turned him down. And he said, I, I know I'll, I'll find me the most intelligent person. That person turned him down. Then he said, I know I'll find me the most handsome man around. So I accepted. <laughs> After all, I couldn't turn him down four times in a row. Well, it, it is good to be here and good to see Russ again. I, I have known Russ for uh, many, many years and uh, and it's been exciting to be able to see his the progress and the process of his growth in Christ. Uh, and and I guess a short while ago he had the opportunity to speak from the pulpit at Grace Community Church. And uh, driving up here uh, to uh, to the college here, I had the opportunity to list listen to the message uh, on the tape. And uh, Russ, I just want to say I I really appreciated hearing. Your version of an old Swindall message. That was very good. That was very good. That was great. Few men can take his content and deliver it like you can, Russ. That was, that was excellent. That was just great. Seriously, though, I I am thrilled to see what the Lord is doing in his life. He's a he's a godly man in Russ's life. That is. He's a godly man, and, and you are very privileged to be able to have him aboard here at the college and ministering to you spiritually, and you know that already. Uh, it is good being here, though. Newhall uh, kind of brings back some memories. My my wife grew up in, in Newhall. Uh, the pastor of this church, Tom Givens, uh, he was one of my teachers at Talbot Seminary in sermon prep, probably one of the best teachers I've ever had in my entire education. Uh, he was one of the most affirming men uh, that uh, I've, I've ever known in terms of in, in a teaching capacity, and, and it's great being here. Pastor of to Baptist, Mike Garman, a good friend of mine. I remember uh, when I was pastor of the college department, we started a home Bible study out here in the Newhall area, and we had it at the Dr. Stead's home for, uh, for quite a while. But I'll never forget, I taught the class in discipling here at the college, and I'll never forget one, and maybe you'll have to help me, some of you uh, old timers or the professor or the teacher might be here. I walked in the class and inside the classroom there was a little car inside the classroom, and, I, and it was one of the uh, staff's car. doctor said, who would that be? Is there? Was it your, <laughs> was it your car? Okay. <laughs> okay, that was uh, quite an interesting time. It really uh, drove me, though, to speak uh, with the excellence in the Anyway, I am excited, uh, really, to be here these next few days to talk on the topic of discipling. And I would really ask, hopefully, that, uh, that you would take that little piece of paper that was handed to you at the door seriously and take some notes, because today I want to lay a foundation and look at the definition of a discipling ministry. And people, let me say this. When I heard these similar messages... About 12, 13, 14 years ago, it changed my life. It really did. It changed my entire perspective of the Christian life and of Christian service. I, I, I was different at that point. I said, Lord, this is what I want to commit myself to the rest of my life. This is what I want to be. And so I trust that, uh, that you would really listen and be attentive and take notes as you're able to. But again, this morning I want us to look at the definition of a discipling ministry and laying a foundation that we'll build upon it the next few days. Now, in looking at a definition of discipling, the problem we have is we can't go to any one passage in Scripture and say, aha, this is what it's all about. What we have to do is this we have to look at the desires that God has for the individual. And once we look at the desires that God has for every individual, Then we'll be able to see some corresponding functions in a discipling ministry. And you'll see what I mean as as we go. So what we want to do is this. We want to look at the three desires that God has. And after each desire, then we'll look at a corresponding function in a discipling ministry. Now, the first desire that God has for the individual is what? He desires that people be what? Saved. right? So salvation is the first desire. He desires the people to be saved. He wants all men to repent, be reconciled to Him. Second Peter three nine. He sent His Son so that people might receive Him and believe in Him and 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 be saved. Now, because that was His desire, the corresponding function in a discipling ministry is that of evangelizing people. Evangelizing people. That's how I learned it. I don't know how you learned it, but. Evangelizing people. In Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Jesus said, "Go." Actually, the idea there is, having gone, he assumes you've already gone. Having gone, you go and make disciples, make learning believers out of people, make converts, make disciples. Remember in uh, in uh, Philemon, I won't have you turn there. It's in the crispy portion of your uh, New Testament there, but in Philemon chapter verse ten, it says that. Uh, Paul referred to Onesimus as his child. And that's that's where it starts. You, You bring people to the Lord. You win them to Christ. That's where discipling ministry begins. You go. You go to people who aren't believers and you make believers out of them. That's where you start. And again, that corresponds to the first desire God has for the individual, that of salvation. He wants people to be saved. Now, a lot of people stop right there and they say, well, once they're saved, that's, that's fine, but uh, 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 that's all we have to do. No, there's a second desire God has for the individual. After salvation, He desires that people what grow, mature, maturity, maturity. That's the second desire God has: salvation, and then maturity. He desires that that people that His His children become. Strong, young men become fathers, as John says in 1 John 2, 13 and 14. 1 John 2, 13 and 14. Consequently, the second phase, is, as I call it, phase one being evangelizing people, the second phase is that of edifying people. Edifying people. You're building them up in the faith. They're saved, and now they need to grow. And this emphasizes the nurturing process. It means you're teaching the individual. You're strengthening the individual. It means you're, you're admonishing, exhorting. And I think Galatians 4.19 puts this all together. Paul says, uh, my chil- children, I am in labor until Christ is formed in you. Now, they had their own particular area of concern and, and with, with the Galatians that they need to be built up in. But principle-wise, he desired that they be like Christ. Christ's nature, his character, be formed in them. And that's what you want to do in this phase in edifying people. You're building them up. John MacArthur said, what is a disciple or somebody who goes, baptizes? That means win somebody to Christ. And then teaches. That means builds them up. How do you make a disciple? You go to somebody who isn't one. You win them to Jesus Christ. And you teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded. You build them in the word. That's the job that all of us have. And you notice that, uh, why don't you take your Bible and turn to Acts 14. I know it's kind of hard writing and turning the Bible and all that, but turn to Acts chapter 14 and, and, and you see this second phase in, in operation. Looking, uh, Let's look at verse 21, Acts 14 verse 21, Paul and his uh, companions are on a missionary journey and... And it says, And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, which is interesting, uh, disciples not being a second-class Christian, they preached the gospel, people believed, and they were called disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And what do they do? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So what they did was obviously they won people to the Lord, then they went back and they strengthened them. They strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And that's what you do in this second phase, edifying people. You assume that kind of relationship where people are built up and strengthened and encouraged. Now... If some people stop after evangelizing people and say the job's done, there are more people who stop after edifying people and they say, well, after uh, people are built up sufficiently, job is done. That's all I need to do. And a lot of people stop there. Maturity becomes rather not the end, but a means then to the final desire that God has for the individual. Salvation, maturity, and what's the third desire? He desires that people be saved, that they mature, and that they what? Reproduce. Reproduction is the third desire that God has. Reproduction. And we're going to talk more about that in the the next few days. If that's the desire that God has, then the corresponding function in a discipling ministry is what I call equipping people. Equipping people. You have evangelizing, edifying, and then equipping. In other words... You are equipping them so that they can be sent. You know, take off. And you now do to others what I've done to you. That's, that's the idea. And we see that in, in Christ's life and in, uh, in many situations. You know, it's interesting that, that one of the first recorded statements of Jesus was not, Follow me and I will I will be your friend. Or follow me and I'll solve your problems. But it was, Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You see? I'm taking you somewhere. I want you to do to others what I'm doing to you. I want you to be a reproducer. And so consequently, throughout the Gospels, you see statements that he sent people. He sent people. He prays in John 17, Father, as you sent me, I now want to send them. So you have the reproduction, equipping people. And let me say this, just as a footnote. This is an area that is really neglected in a lot of churches. You know, a lot of, in uh, and, and, and a lot of pastoral ministries. We are great as pastors in telling people what they ought to do. And what their duty is. But we're very short in telling people how to do it. And equipping them so that they can be obedient to what the scriptures say. And we're great in telling people, boy, you ought to study the Bible. You ought to pray. But do we ever equip them so they know step by step how to study the Bible. How to pray. And that's what this equipping is all about. Okay? Now, so then you have the three processes, right? You have salvation, maturity, reproduction, corresponding to evangelizing, edifying, and equipping very analogous to physical life you have the birth process then you have the raising of the uh, of the child the individual and then you have the child being mature to go out and and reproduce themselves physically now let me say this well as, as I as I look back in my own ministry and the ministry of others you find out that a lot of people in the growth process who are being discipled were not discipled by the people who led them to the Lord there's what's called spiritual orphans running around. Maybe you're a spiritual orphan. You've been led to Christ by someone, but that individual who led you to the Lord kind of drops you, and you're an orphan, and you need to grow. And there are a lot of spiritual orphans around in need of in need of growth, and we're going to look at that tomorrow as we look at some of the value of discipling. But it begins with evangelism, and then it goes to edifying and then equipping. I remember, uh, I remember one time I was... Uh, at a, at a grocery store and, and I have this line that I like to use in doing a kind of cold turkey evangelism uh, when I wouldn't see the person, you know, uh, probably ever again. So I went into the store and uh, um, I used this line. I, I was talking to the checker and I said, excuse me, I was wondering if I could ask you a question. My name is Alan and I'm really interested in where people's heads are at spiritually. Do you often think about God or Jesus? And that just kind of gets me right into a conversation and uh and i've had great actually great success in in uh in starting conversations with individuals i remember uh, at a basketball game just at a, at a park uh during a little break time i just sat down a guy I was playing with i you know turned to him and i said I-, I was wondering if i could ask you a question i'm really interested in where people's heads are at spiritually do you often think about god or jesus and that started a conversation with him i was in a grocery store and uh i was talking to the butcher and uh, started a conversation. I just said, I was wondering if I could ask you a question. I'm really interested in where people's heads are at spiritually. Do you often think about God or Jesus? Not that fast, but I said it. And right there over over sirloin steaks. I mean, there we were. We were talking about the Lord and about his, his background. Well, at this grocery store, I started this conversation with the checker, and we had a good, brief conversation. Then I turned to the box boy, and I asked him the same question. And he said, yeah, I do think about God and Jesus. I said, really, tell me about it. He goes, well, I'm a Christian. I go, great. Great. Do you fellowship anywhere? And he said, yeah, I go to Grace Community Church. I said, you're kidding. Well, I'm, uh, I'm uh, in the college apartment. Would you like to come to our Bible study? And, and then eventually then he began, he got involved, and then eventually he became part of a discipling group that I had where I was able to build into his life. Well, then I started this group with two guys, and we were at, was living in an apartment at the time, and we went down to the jacuzzi there at the apartment complex after we had a little group meeting there was one young man there that I, I I'd always seen uh, at the apartment complex and uh, I wanted to get to know him and you know, I always see him washing his car or doing something and well he was there by just walking around the pool area and so uh, I said I'm going to start a conversation I've got to know who this guy is so I started a conversation with him and I found out his name was Ray and I said Ray can I ask you a question he said sure I said I'm really interested in where people's heads are at spiritually do you often think about God or Jesus and he said As a matter of fact, I do. I go, really? He goes, yeah, I'm a believer. I go, when did you become a believer? He said, about four months ago. I said, no kidding. Where do you fellowship? Where do you go to church? He goes, Grace Community Church. (laughs) So that started then a relationship with Ray. I invited him into the college ministry. And then he came to our home Bible study. And then I challenged him to be in meeting with me in a discipling group. And it's been exciting to see his growth. And In fact, he graduated from from this college, uh, I believe, Uh, several years ago and it's been exciting to see you know you pick up spiritual orphans but it starts with evangelism and then it builds to edifying and then equipping now what I want to do is give you a complete definition of a discipling ministry but before I do that I want to give you some identifying marks of a discipling ministry I want to give you some identifying marks in other words what distinguishes a discipling ministry from other kinds of ministries And I'm going to give you a complete definition. Okay. Here's Mark number one. I call it guardianship. Guardianship. I'm not sure what kind of animals they are, but I think they're of Armenian ancestry there. I can say that because I'm Armenian. Guardianship. In other words, in a discipling relationship, the discipler is the spiritual guardian of the disciple. The discipler is watching over the life of the less mature, younger Christian. You're an overseer, in a sense. In Hebrews 13, 17, we can at least principalize that. As speaking of leaders, it expresses the idea. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders, for they keep watch over your souls. And that's the idea there, of watching over. I remember one of the young men I was discipling, he said during a prayer, Lord, thanks. Thanks for sending Alan into my life to... To watch over me. To help me grow. And being a guardian means that as a discipler, you're you're watching over, you're protecting, you're praying for, you're guiding, you're counseling, you're praying. Being a disciple, that means that you are on the receiving end and you are being watched over, you are being guided, you're being directed. It means that God has entrusted to your care people to love. It means as a disciple that there are people over you who are watching you and loving you and caring for you and directing you in an accountability relationship. There's a second identifying mark and that's what? Rock kicking? No, Russ. Not rock kicking. No. (laughs) Example. 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 In other words, in a discipling ministry you have the role of the guided, a guide and the guided, a, a leader and a follower. It isn't a spiritual peer relationship. But you as a disciple, you're, you're saying, I, I want to watch this person's life. I want to follow that person's life. I, there's something in that person's life that, that excites me. He's a godly person. She's a godly woman. And I want to follow that person. See, in the discipling ministry, then, you have the uh, the, the mark, identifying mark of example. Many times in, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 4, 16... 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul says that they are to be imitators of him. And the Greek word there is mimetai. We get our word mimic from it. They were mimics of him. In another place, uh, another word is used, but the the similar idea. A mark of example. I'll tell you, people, you ought to be looking right now. You ought to be looking for people and keeping your eyes open for people whose lives you want to follow. I mean, look for people who are godly. Look for people who have something that, that you desperately want spiritually. There's a third identifying word of a discipling ministry. And I call it direction. Direction. In other words, in a, in a discipling ministry, there are clearly defined goals and a, plan to ach- and a plan to achieve those goals. There's clearly defined goals and a plan to achieve those goals. There are specific objectives. I remember when I was uh, spending some time with some young men, a guy who was kind of over me, my trainer, said, Alan, what are you doing with these men? And I said, I don't know. I'm just kind of meeting with them and seeing what happens. And he said, you've got to know where you want to take them. What do you want them to be? Where do you want them to be in six months? Where do you want them to be in a year? And so in a discipling ministry, there's direction. And again, we'll talk more about this later. Another identifying mark. I call this time. Time. You know, in a discipling ministry, it requires a long-term commitment, not a short-term commitment. You look at the life of Christ, and he spent several years with the men. Remember the group that I had? We spent about a year and a half together. What a great year and a half that that was. You know, I'm, and I'm not saying that, that in a discipling ministry it has to be two, three, four, five years. What I'm getting away from is the idea that a discipling ministry is is a short-term commitment. Just just going through maybe eight to ten weeks work, uh, you know, in a workbook or a book, and then poof, at the end of that, the person's instantly mature. No, it's a, it it takes time, it's a long-term commitment, it's building into the life of someone, or it's allowing someone to build into your life. Another identifying mark, I apologize for this overhead, I tell myself I'm going to, I'm going to change it, it is not that edifying, but I'll do it anyway, commitment of one's life, commitment of one's life. You know, in, in Christ's life, in his disciple ministry, you don't see him just transferring facts to the men, but he transferred a lifestyle, a lifestyle. He was committed to them. It's a person-to-person, face-to-face encounter. The sixth identifying mark. There are only 25 of these, okay, so hang on. No, numerical limitation. Numerical limitation. Identifying mark number six. In other words, in Christ's life, you see that there was a multitude, then there was a 70, then, of course, there was a 12, then there was an inner circle of three, and then even out of the three, there was there was one that he was especially close to. And so from this, we learn that a discipling ministry has its numerical limits. And then finally, and there are so many other identifying marks we could put in other marks, but number seven, I call this friendship, friendship. One of the beautiful qualities in Christ's relationship with his disciples is that even though he was our leader, guardian, advisor, they were friends. They were friends. I like what one person wrote. He said, the discipler is not a part-time tutor, he's a full-time friend. The discipler is not someone who walks into a person's life for a few hours a week of instruction and then disappears until class adjoins again. No, the discipler is to be one who takes a genuine interest in the one he is personally leading. He spends time with him, doing a myriad of things, some serious, others fun and lighthearted, some formal, others casual. The discipler becomes a true friend to his young convert. And what a great thing this is, people. What a great identifying mark this is. You know, those those guys that, that I, uh, in this again, this one particular group that I'm referring to, those guys became and still are very good friends of mine. In fact, Ray, remember the young man I mentioned, Ray, that I met in the jacuzzi? We were such good friends that when I got married a few years after that, he was my best man to show you how a relationship began just by reaching out in evangelism and spending time discipling him and helping him grow and and a heart-to-heart relationship with him. Another of the young men is uh, we're still very, very close. And God has used that group in my life to build into my life, but also... To provide friendship for me and for them. And I say that lest you think that discipling ministry is just a cold mechanical process, taking someone through an assembly line, and then again at the end, there they are. No, it's a relationship, it's a friendship. Now with that in mind, let me close by giving you a complete definition of a discipling ministry, okay? Let me give you a complete definition. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to write it exactly how I have it in terms of the columns, okay? Leave a little space to the left of it. Leave a little space to the left of it over here because you're going to fill in some words, but write it out exactly as you see it there. Discipling others is the process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating, a life worth following, commits himself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been one to Christ, the purpose being to aid and guide their growth to maturity and then equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation. Let me give you, I have a, I have a one here that's a little clearer. Hang on just a sec. This might be clear. Just take a minute to write that down. I'd like all of you to do that. Discipling others is a process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating commits himself. For an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been one to Christ, the purpose being to aid and guide their growth to maturity and equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation. Now, what I want you to do in the left column there is, is just put right by each line a certain word. And we have six of the seven identifying marks in the three phases. Discipling others is a process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating. That's the identifying mark of example, Right. Commits himself, that's the identifying mark of commitment of one's life. For an extended period of time, of course, that's the mark of time. To a few individuals, that's numerical limitation. Who have been won to Christ, that's phase one. Evangelizing people. The purpose being, that's direction, you know where you're headed. The purpose being to aid and guide, that's guardianship. You're watching over, you're guarding them, you're guiding them, aiding them. Their growth to maturity, that's phase two, right? That's maturity, edifying people. And then, you don't stop there, but you equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation, and that's phase three, equipping people. And so, people, what you have here, then, is you have the entire process from spiritual birth to reproduction. As a discipler, you're committing yourself to a few people to aid and guide their growth, to equip them. As a disciple, you're going out and you're finding someone and you're saying, would you disciple me? Would you? Can I be accountable to you? You Would would you aid and guide my growth to maturity? Would you equip me? Would you help me grow? Tomorrow, what I want to do is build on this and I want us to look at the importance of a discipling ministry and hopefully it will be a motivation as you see how this entire concept of a discipling ministry fits in to the church, to the world, to Christ, the disciple to the discipler our father we thank you for the strategy that's been revealed in the life of your son of pouring his life into a few who could then affect others who would then affect others who would then affect others how i pray that these next few days that you would instill in each of our lives a vision for our own life and what you can do in us either as a discipler of others or, Lord, as a disciple. I pray that even now you would would be putting within the minds of my brothers and sisters someone that they could go to who could disciple them, someone that could uh, love them and care for them and instruct them, be a friend to them. I pray that they would be on the lookout for godly examples. Lord, that each person here would be built up, That this year wouldn't be a wasted year, but that someone would be holding them accountable, that they could grow and be all that you would want them to be and equip them to do it in others. We look forward with anticipation to what you'll teach us. and Lord, give us a conviction. Give us a perspective. May it not just be another chapel series, but let it be life-changing. In Christ's name, amen. You're dismissed. See you tomorrow.